The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. The clothing business is hard. A lot of it makes no sense, and very rarely do brands come out of New Zealand that become leaders around the world, which is why local label I Love Ugly was a rarity, worn by some of the world's top stars, with Justin Bieber famously buying 15 pairs of their signature pant. They had a store in LA with lines around the corner, hundreds of thousands of followers online, and were one of the top Facebook pages in the region for engagement. I saw them growing and was consistently impressed with the way they changed the rules to sidestep some of the silliest parts of fashion, like how small business fashion labels end up running interest-free loans to all their stockists. They chose not to be part of that through innovating their model and being pioneers in e-commerce. But then things grew a little far. Stock piled up and the bank changed its appetite for risk. Rumours swirled that they might be going under. The reality was... Most people would have, but not the founder we are talking to today. Valentin Ozich has brought his company back from a place most couldn't and has started to tell the story through his new podcast and this company's social media presence that aims to inspire, educate and be honest about what it takes to succeed. To talk good decisions, not so good ones, personal growth and where Tony Robbins fits into one of the top streetwear brands in the world, Valentin joins us now. Kelda, thank you for being here. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, so yeah, let's go back to the to the beginning. And I've just listened to this the other day on uh, the podcast you've started, the story of uh, I Love Ugly's history, uh, and it was great. It was such a such a great story. But appreciated. Yeah, take take us back to the beginning and what led you to begin I Love Ugly. Basically, so I started back in two thousand eight. I was at university. I didn't know what I was doing. I knew that I wanted to pursue a creative endeavor, but I didn't know exactly what that was. I was trying to find a job in design, but it being 2008, right in the middle of a GFC, it was extremely difficult. So from there, I said, okay, I've got these, I've got these three words, I love ugly, which I think are quite intriguing. How can I utilize this in a in a yeah in the creative landscape for some weird reason i decided to give t-shirts a crack the t-shirts started to resonate with a lot of people and then from there i picked up a few stockists and then people seemed to like it and then the rest was kind of history i love ugly was born and that's like the the quick story there isn't it but um <laughs> yes very quick but there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of really interesting um t- turning points that happened in those early days mm-hmm. uh 
And so, as as you were saying in the the podcast the other day, you you went and did a design degree, yeah, um, and then came out of that and had to get like a job to earn some money. Yes, tell me tell me about like what it was like working at a bank when you were trying to get this thing off the ground. <laughs> yeah, so. I finished my degree and I expected a job to be waiting there on the doorstep because at design school, they didn't actually teach you that once you finish your degree, you got to go out there and, and you know, pursue work and, and, and find work. So in my, in my case, I, you know, I got a huge shock that work wasn't there, a job wasn't there, just waiting for me at the doorstep. And then right at the same time, I had a girlfriend and we, you know, we were dating for a few months before we knew it, she was pregnant. We didn't actually know she was pregnant until six months in. That's how naive we were. So I was 22 back then. She was 19. She was six months pregnant. Found out three weeks later, our daughter was born. So I had three weeks to prepare to be a father. My wife now uh, to prepare to be a mother. So that was a huge shock to the system. You know, uh, I think there's a reason why, you know, when, when you plan to have a child, you have nine months so you can prepare emotionally and psychologically so we had three weeks to prepare all of a sudden my life had changed the trajectory of my life and all of a sudden I had to you know step up step up my game and and find work uh as I said before I couldn't find work in design so I had to find work elsewhere for some reason my brother my brother was working in a bank and he said why don't you give bank a crack they the hourly rate's quite good obviously I had mouths to feed now so I got a job at the BNZ over in um in in Parnell and that was I, I was quite surprised but at that point in my life I was kind of I was operating on in default I wasn't really consciously doing what I wanted to do I just had to basically survive so the bank was the bank was that first step into going down the conventional route and while I did it it felt absolutely soul destroying and but at the same time it was paying bills and 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 you know putting food on the table as well there was a point where there was a job opportunity within the bank because I actually, I, you know, I, I sorted the system. I, I, yeah, it was just a system basically which you had to run. I figured it out quite quickly. I learned what to do. And then there's a promotion on, on offer to take a step up. I applied for it and the manager didn't give it to me, which I was very pissed off about. But the reason she didn't give it to me is because she knew she could sense in my heart that this wasn't for me. And she actually felt sorry for me pursuing this path of work and she said look if I invest in you all you're going to end up doing is pursuing your creative path anyway so I'm actually doing you a favor at the time I absolutely hated her but in <laughs> hindsight it was the best move that you know, anyone could have done for me and, and at that time were you starting the label with t-shirt sales yes. kind of through your networks and stuff yeah just 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 quarter time on the side uh you know I was I was you know, still staying staying up till two, three o'clock in the morning, doing things, you know, putting swing tags on, emailing customers, wholesalers, just trying to figure things out. And that's kind of what fueled me and kept me sane during this whole process. That's so interesting. I didn't know that about uh you, you know, that you'd only had such a short time to prepare for your 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 yeah. daughter coming along. Yeah. Um because of course I first met you yeah. uh in the newborn intensive care yes. unit yeah. where we both had little prem prem children, <laughs> yeah. and our kids are both now eleven. And um, yeah. you, you know, like blessedly, like having come so early, still so lucky how everything turned out. Yeah. But I just remember me and Ingrid just thinking that you guys were just the sweetest people. You're so <laughs> kind to each other. Likewise, you were, but you're so kind to each other and so thoughtful. And that's amazing that you were dealing with such a um, 
such such a maelstrom of, of, yeah. of newness. Absolutely. And we 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 were kids. Mm. We I literally went from being fathered my whole life. I was raised on I'm Croatian background, raised in a Croatian family, very traditional. So being over over parented to now becoming a parent and I was still a child. So that was a real shock to the system and that, I I guess that kind of kick started my life and made me very made, made me become very serious about making something of myself. And when you're in the trenches together like that, it doesn't matter how long you've been together if you yep. if you build that thing together, does it? Yeah, definitely. I guess it's either going to push you away or make you grow stronger. And in our case, we're fortunate where we became stronger. We we're fortunate where we both had strong families behind us to back us. But at the same time, I think everybody was watching in the terraces waiting for a bit of a disaster to happen. So with a, with a young family uh, jumping straight into this job, what led you to jump out of that and, and decide to um, open the boutique? I guess it becomes a point in your life where you have to make some big decisions. And making decisions, even if are small, take, take a lot of courage. And I knew deep down in my heart that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. My father and a lot of my uncles were entrepreneurs. So that's, I guess, inherently, that's all what I knew. And I came to a point where I was, I was working at AS Color, picking t-shirts, and I was watching, I was watching the owner, um, you know, solve problems and grow the business. And although he was stressed, I could see that he was doing doing something fulfilling. So at that point, when I was work, I was working five days a week, a week there, I dropped down to four days a week, so I could focus on the label. And he was very supportive. And then I came to a point where I had my wife and I had twenty thousand dollars saved. And then I said to myself, okay, I can either get a mortgage and work for somebody else for the rest of my life or I can take this leap and I figured that in life you have to you know you have to be prepared to take a step backwards whether it be financially or emotionally or whatever or uh, you know in order to take three steps forward and I think that sometimes it doesn't take a year it takes five years it can take 10 years and I realized it's like okay I don't have anything on paper I had no assets I was broke so I might as well take a huge risk now. I'm young. With whatever happens, I've got a lot of time to bounce back. And that was when it, that was at that point where I just made the decision. Okay, I'm going to pursue I Love Ugly, and then I'm going to open this boutique. Which was, looking back, it was it was quite crazy opening a multi-brand shop and trying to get a label off the ground. And that multi-brand shop, uh, Broken Puppet. Yes. Was it? Yeah, that I'm sure a lot of people will will remember. <laughs> Had like a really interesting roster of mm. very like um, pointy end fashion brands around yep. the world, like um, absolute front of streetwear. Yeah, and then you positioned your own new brand yes. that had not had uh, doors like that before. Yep. Um, beside it, which was genius. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's I I I I figured it's if I want to do propel. I love ugly forward and you know position it in a market which people understood the best and easiest way to do that was to position it next to you know prestigious reputable brands as inter international brands as well and that's what I did and it worked worked a treat when we did open the doors you know people were drawn in by the other brands such as Norse projects etc but people gravitated towards I love ugly the fact that it was local had a had a deep rich story and uh, yeah obviously they liked the clothes and in that process of um, of launching the multi-brand and getting your brand into the kind of zone where other people might want to stock it in their stores, what were you learning about how dumb fashion is as a kind of 
business the way that most people do it. Yeah, I think at that point, I didn't really have a perspective on the industry because I was so busy trying to survive and figure out my own shit. And yeah, I, I, I the whole time I was thinking, I'm I'm dumb. I'm dumb, I'm dumb. It wasn't until I get, got a larger perspective and a better perspective on how the industry operated until post Broken Puppet. So I closed the store one year later just for a number of reasons, mainly because I, I just, I was so stressed. It felt like, you know, this, it felt like the end of my life. I fell into a deep state of uh, depression. I didn't know how to, how to look after myself. I didn't know how to control my thoughts. I didn't know how to run a business. And, and then, yeah, I basically had to shut, shut the shop and then, you know, just, just focus on the one thing, which was, which was I Love Ugly. And in doing so, what, what were the choices you had? Like, how do you actually do that? So you would have had like, bills to pay and a lease and responsibilities yeah. and there's a lot of ego as well trapped in stores because mm. you've you've put a sign out front like you know if someone starts a consulting business or something yeah they just stop doing it quietly yeah. no problem you start a retail store you have a party you invite your friends yeah or your networks there like it's a really brave decision to mm. to say this thing that i've done is not the thing to do right now yeah absolutely so yeah you're you're bang on with that that was you know shutting shutting the store down was a big blow to the ego Fortunately, no one, uh, you know, no one really kind of knew, you know, compared to what I went through a few years ago, no one really knew of Broken Puppet. You know, you, obviously you had a you had a handful of people, but absolutely it takes a lot of courage to do that. But as I said, you, you know, you have to take a step backwards to take three steps forward. And then what, what, what was what you identified that you wanted to try and make three steps forward from there? I think... Uh, I Love Ugly, I could see that it had potential. We got picked up by ASOS. They made a fifteen dollars or $20,000 order. I can't remember exactly. And that, to me, was a bit of a light bulb moment. It's like, okay, this thing has legs. And in order to really pursue this thing, I need to focus. So when you know what to focus on, it's easy to cut the crap quickly. And I think that's you know, a major problem in a lot of people's businesses and lives they just don't know what to focus on. So they basically say yes to every opportunity. It's because they don't have a very clear, concise, overarching goal about what it is exactly they want to achieve. And what was it that you wanted to achieve at I wanted that point? To, yeah, I wanted to do... So what kept me up to two, two, three o'clock in the morning despite having a you know, baby girl and being up all night, you know what that's like, was the dream to create something that was impactful and, and global and i just wanted I, I just remember visualizing people in america wearing the product people in london and that's what kept me going i didn't know how i was going to do it what exactly the end would look like but i did have something you know something a burning desire in me to achieve achieve that goal and so at that stage, were you still producing the clothes in New Zealand as well? Like, because uh, I guess there are a couple of big turning points in your ability to go global, like yep. choosing to in the yep. first instance, but then setting up your operations to be able to actually serve the world. Yes, absolutely. So obviously, you know, I'm a true believer is have the goal and then figure out the how after. People get caught up with the mechanics about how they're going to do it and it actually paralyzes you. So... You know, in order to in order to achieve that ambitious goal, obviously I needed to focus on what I was very good at, and then get the resource and get the people and the skills required in order to build the foundation to make that dream a reality. So in my case, I found, uh, you know, he's my my former business partner. I got him who was doing his own own little thing, milk underwear, and yeah, we just said I just said, hey, do you want to come on board? I can't pay you anything. 
you know, there's not much cash flow, but yeah, I've got a big, I've got a big dream. And as soon as that happened and we we're just focusing on the brand, other people's, you know, other staff members started to gravitate towards the vision. And then all of a sudden things started to, to snowball from there. And over a short couple of years there, you, your, your team and, and you pulled off something absolutely wild, eh? Like... Yes. Yeah, very, very wild. <laughs> absolutely wild. So before, before you'd started this, you know, like, uh, would you, you know I, know, I know you were visualizing it, but how, do, how far away did it feel that you could have people like Justin Bieber buying, you know, 15 pairs? Oh, and I know Justin Bieber's not the height of cool, but you know, like <laughs> yeah. one, of the, one of the most kind of, the, the last guy in the world who needs to buy anything for himself kind of <laughs> yeah. thing, um, that, you, that you could have like um, the, 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 this growth journey. Mm. To be honest, I didn't really reflect back on it until I nearly lost it because well, I was so busy in the, the motions of it and, you know, we we're going so fast. And that's, that's the thing as well. It's it's not it's actually not a sprint. It has to be a marathon. And, you know, you got to remind yourself every day or every moment you can about, you, you know, what's actually going on and just, you know, fill yourself with gratitude because otherwise it will just – you know, before you know it, it's gone and disappeared and you're like, shit, I don't even enjoy, I didn't even get to enjoy this or realize what was going on. And I think that's what it, that's what it's about. You know, it's not really about the end goal as such, it's about the journey to get to the goal. And for us, it was just happening so quickly and I was so stressed and things were so over, out of hand and there's so many opportunities. All I was doing was trying to keep this thing intact. And, you know, that's what that's my approach to the way I do things nowadays is I'm constantly reminding myself that what I've got is special and I'm you know I'm constantly telling myself how grateful I need to be and yeah because otherwise otherwise it just goes quickly and the whole thing becomes a blur let's look at some of the things that kind of led to that growth uh you were really early on in kind of um running a Facebook kind of page that actually had a community around it yep. and really early on in building a really big instagram following mm-hmm. uh really early on and um seeing the power of influencers and blogs to be kind of the new media that, yep. that works things and early into e-commerce mm. and that's a that's a pretty big kind of like four hits considering that those four forces have ended up kind of shaping the modern retail environment Absolutely. And I was fortunate when I grew up in an era where that's that's what I knew. It was it was emerging and my natural inclination was just to gravitate towards it in a business sense. It's like, okay, this is a this is a cool platform, Facebook. We can directly interact and engage with our customer. Okay, cool. Why don't we just start to do this for the business and why don't we just start to talk about things that aren't just the product, about what we're doing and the challenges and getting people's opinions on product and where we should open stores and it was just a natural it just naturally came to us and then to my surprise nobody else was doing it you know obviously a lot of the other brands were the, the people running them were a lot older than us so they probably didn't quite understand it how we did but we were just since we had no money we had to be resourceful and I think that's the that's one of the that's one of the benefits of you know, not having too much cash is you have to be be creative. Obviously, it's got some pros and got some cons. Um, but and 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 our from our point of view, we just you we you know since we had no money, we just decided to use social media as a marketing portal. And then, but, but for the online thing as well, that was all due to wholesalers not paying on time and you know cash being delayed and no, you know, not enough cash flow to actually operate the beast. And that's why we fought online. You know. At, at that point, you had ASOS and you had these big conglomerates making billions of dollars, 
but no one was really doing it on a smaller scale. So for us, it's like, okay, why don't we, why don't we have a crack at this? And it worked. It's wild to think, hey, like, um, uh, that that your store, which you know is is within the last decade, was so fresh that it got on the news for yes. being like <laughs> yeah. a, a brand with an e-commerce store. <laughs> yeah. like, and it's so hard to think like how far the world has moved Absolutely. so so quickly. Yes, so true and so scary. It's, it's scary to think we're the next ten years where we're going to be in the next ten years, and so. Along this journey, the 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 e the e commerce kind of kicked in, and that allowed you to sell directly to overseas. You had some some great stockists going on. You're, you're getting like how many followers do do you have with the brand? Like currently, yeah, probably three quarters of a million if you combine everything. And now the podcast channel is is growing as well. Yeah, so around that, I'd say around that, maybe yeah, maybe three quarters of a million is a bit far fetched. Maybe just over <laughs> half a million. Yeah, yeah, six hundred thousand. I'd say. Yeah, wild. Like, yeah, it is wild. And then you saw that there was this demand coming from overseas because that was where most of your um, most of your orders were coming in from, from the States, from California. Yep. And then retail. So you'd gone from being very much an online first brand, yep. uh, for most people anyway, how they, how they knew you. What led you into retail and how did that go? It was the whole sensor experience and giving people a experience which you can't convey online. And... I just loved the fact, you know, I'm I'm a graphic designer, I'm a creative, and being able to, you know, design the smell, so which led us to our own cologne, the auditory experience, so the music playlists, you know, the what the temperature and 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 the shop, the the lighting, the mood, the customer service, the, you know, just the the feeling that you get in there. I found that quite, uh, just drew me, drew me in. Something as I said, you can't do online. And and it worked, you know. We had a little pop up in Mount Eden Road, the first I Love Ugly pop up. So it was about a hundred meters, two hundred meters up from my original Broken Puppet store, and that did really well. I like, okay, that's this has got legs, and you know, you'd do, you know, you'd do ten thousand ten thousand dollars on a Saturday. That's straight to your bank account, which you can use as working capital, and that was that, that, that was amazing at the time. That was just a light bulb moment, and and also once again at that point, nobody was doing vertical retail. It was all the only way you can grow versus through other retailers and multi brand and wholesalers but for us it's just we came from a logical point of view and also since we were naive and didn't really understand the understand the rules of fashion we just basically did what was most logical to us and retail retail opening our retail stores was just a logical step and then from there we did you know a few other Auckland stores and then a pop-up in Wellington so we try to make it as try to go you know very risk adverse and try try it out with a pop-up uh, just to get a bit of a feel from the market, and then if it worked, then we'd would sign a lease and go from there. But unfortunately, we broke that rule when we opened up LA and Melbourne. Tell me about that. So LA, uh, amazing location, yes, and beautiful store, yeah, and and it landed really well. Yeah, it did. It um, you know, the opportunities which came from that. The first day we opened, there was a queue of people outside, so I turned up in the Uber, kind of. Not not expecting anything, you know, you got thirty, forty people lined up on outside, and we had a security guard. We had to let people in, in in groups. You know, people come in buying, just buying a storm. I'm signing shirts. People getting photos. It was all, it was just, it was, it, it was crazy. And that's when I realized that the American culture is very different. They actually, you know, they deeply, deeply emotionally invest into brands. And that to me was was a real shock. Uh, LA was just amazing, and that was one of the highlights 
highlights of my career and what and what I've done. Um, unfortunately, you know, there were some other some other issues that stopped that from continuing, but it wasn't that things didn't work and we didn't have the demand and we weren't selling products. It was more of an operational operational issue. But yeah, that was that was a real highlight. And that store that you opened up in kind of the home of uh, streetwear America, yes. the yep. like um, you, you know, in, in one of the cultural capitals of the world, yep. like down the road from the boutiques of of, of heroes and stuff. It, it worked and it stood out in that you had kind mm. of um, other brands approaching you to do uh, collabs yep. and, and mu- music uh, companies working with you. Yep. T- tell me about that. Yeah, definitely. It was, the way I viewed it was almost like a public PR showroom and you'd have stylists come in, you'd have record labels, you'd have brands, you know, the Onosuka Tiger and the Jansport collaboration came as, as a result of the people working for the company coming in and being fans of the brands next minute they're asking you know do we want to work together you know we were in talks with nike we were in talks with just a whole you know a whole whole bunch of the whole list of different brands and then you'd have you know justin bieber come in you'd have zane malik you'd have chris brown you'd have you know chester watson and then would be hosting in-store signings with g-easy and you'd have he'd have two thousand people lining up to to meet and greet home and we'd be doing that through our store so in terms of that that's invaluable that's huge you can't even you can't even put a number on that but it was only doing good things it was bringing us attention uh you know i got voted one of the top 100 creatives in the world by hypebeast magazine in 2015 and 2014 and 15 and it was all all compounding and that was a result of all the little small things we're doing all around the world and you must have felt pretty bulletproof the the 500k that you'd invested to make the la store work it was working on a level that you know couldn't couldn't be um it couldn't be argued with couldn't be denied yeah and then and then tell me what happened when one day you got a letter from the bank (laughs) yeah you're right we did feel bulletproof and our ego was as big as this room and which is a which is a bad problem because you know, if you've if you've got an ego and you get complacent and you think that your shit doesn't stink, then you start to make dumb decisions. It's okay when you got the Midas touch and everything you touches turns to gold, but if it doesn't, you're going to run into problems. So basically, the bank, you know, we were breaking our covenants and we were overspending on our stock. Our stock was too high and opening too many stores. And at that point, we'd invest, invested over a million dollars into Melbourne, Sydney, and Los Angeles. And that was the month, you know, the year before we made a million dollars net profit and we spent all that for the year after. There was no governance in the business, no CFO saying, hey, boys, maybe you should not do this or maybe, you know, do one of them and maybe do a pop-up or invest the rest into houses or whatever. But that was, yeah, basically there was all that. So the writing was on the wall. The bank basically said, "I, you know, we've had it. Here's a here's a letter. Seven days. You have to pay us five hundred fifty thousand dollars. At that point, Punk and Patch had gone under, and a number of different clients of the ANZ had also gone under. The media was stirring the pot by saying retail's dead, retail's over. Yeah, it's the apocalypse of retail, and everything just started to go south. And yeah, it was a real wake up call, and had to make some pretty tough decisions. Tell, tell me about those decisions. Like when you're looking at your business at that state and you're like, we've got hundreds of thousands of followers. We've got stores that are that are pumping. We know how to operate. Uh, you know, ha, ha, had you just had your, your head in the sand for too many warnings from the bank? Or, you know, what was it? Was it like 
out of the blue or like, what, yeah, what do you well, do from that moment? Well, at the time I thought it was out of the blue because I didn't really have a a deep business understanding and my business acumen was was lacking. Looking back, I knew exactly I know exactly what the problem was. It's basically in in fashion retail, you're going out of business for two reasons. If you're not having enough sales or if you've got too much stock, mismanagement of stock. In our case, it was mismanagement of stock and just our operational costs were just through the roof. You know, we were gallivanting around the world. We were spending money like it wasn't, like it was going out of fashion. And our stock holding as well was just ridiculous. We had seven distributors globally, a ton of stores. You know, we had a huge wholesale model, hundreds of stores carrying the brand. Obviously, each one of those different, yeah, but each one of those different avenues require a different financial yeah infrastructure and we had our big retail operation as well seven stores seven i love ugly stores and a big online store so it was just a bit diabolical and a bit mismanaged and you know we had amazing an amazing cfo which was you know she she helped attribute to the million dollar net profit and when she left it was like the yeah it was like the the, the parent with a little you know with a little little whip or whatever cracking the whip every time you stepped out of line that person disappeared so we were basically given, you know, a couple, a couple of guys given the keys to a Ferrari, but we didn't really know how to read the dashboard. It's okay when you're in the motorway and there's no obstacles or other cars in the way, but as soon as you need to turn a corner or something out of the blue happens, you're going to run into trouble, and that's what happened to us. And how do you, how do you come back from that? Like most people, I, I, I imagine, wouldn't even be able to comprehend getting a letter saying. Pay us five hundred and fifty thousand dollars in seven days, or else we're gonna shut you down. (laughs) We're gonna shut you down. Absolutely, we had five hundred and fifty thousand dollars plus a whole bunch of other debt from creditors, suppliers. So it actually tallied it over to yeah, past past. It was you know one point five million in total once I included all the personal debt and you know the other debts. Um, But how do you overcome that? I think you know there's two ways. You either fold and just you know call it a day, throw in the towel. Or you face you face it for some weird reason. Nothing, you know. Despite yeah, it made absolute logical sense to shut this thing down because the odds of you bouncing back from it, uh, one to one in a thousand. You know, even the liquidator, one of the liquidators who was putting on pressure pressure on me to liquidate, he said, "Mate, what are you doing? You're an idiot. You're acting recklessly as a director. Uh, you know you." you're basically going to be setting yourself up for all sorts of problems, you know, uh, the way you're, the way you're behaving and this and that. But for some reason, something kept pulling me back in to keep this thing going because I knew that I knew that there was a demand out there and I knew that if Isle of Ugly was to shut tomorrow, a lot of people would miss it. So I knew that side of it was taken care of. It was an operational side and it was just the management of stock and just the real you know, business 101, uh, you know, get your stock in order, keep your costs in order, just watch, watch the numbers. So when I, when I basically got that letter from the bank, I walked up the ramp back to the office and I was going to tell all the staff a big white lie. Yeah. Just, I don't know, just bullshit them. But then I was like, nah, fuck it. This is where I need to start telling the truth. I need to be truthful to myself. I need to be truthful to my staff. And then I just need to fix this problem. So I basically told the staff exactly what was going on i thought all of them would run for the hills this was the head office staff i thought all of them would run for the hills but 
they said you know they could sense the authenticity in my voice and they just said hey v nah we're gonna we're gonna stick by you this was on a friday afternoon a saturday so literally the next day we opened up our warehouse and we just liquidated everything 50 to 60 percent off and we read an open letter and the crowds came in and basically the way i saw it it was almost a vote you know, people coming in and making a transaction was a was almost a donation. It's like, nah, we, we support you guys. We love you guys. We can see you've made some mistakes. Yeah, we're going to buy something to, to keep this thing alive. And that was, yeah, that was a, that was a very, that was a, st- that was a start of a very tough journey. And at that moment when things are at their worst, that's when the questioners start coming out, the knockers start coming out, yeah. the, the rumors in the media and stuff. Yes. And, like how did you how did you personally react to that? Because I think something that's really interesting that I've, I've I've observed with you is like just being really open about like the the need to invest in your own health and your mm. own um, well being in order yeah. to handle these challenges. Definitely. Well, it's like that. It's like that scene on Eight Mile when Eminem has that final rap battle and he says everything that the guy's going to say anyway. Yeah, I'm white. Yeah, I live in a trailer trash trash park and this and that. And the guy was completely disarmed. He had nothing to say because he admitted everything. And I just basically, you know, took that approach. I just said, hey, yep, we've got issues. We huge debt. We've got problems. We fucked up. But at the same time, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this thing go. And I was, I was sincere with that. And going back to what I said earlier in my conversation, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I believed I was going to do it. And I think that's the, you know, this, in this whole situation, what I really realized is, business is 20 percent mechanics and skills and knowledge 80 percent of it is your psychology and it's for your ability to deal with those very tough times and your ability to deal you know when you go through that adversity and how you get yourself out of that that is the you know that's the foundation of success and at that point i'd been doing and investing a lot of time on myself and personal development my mindset so when this came yeah it was shocking but i was equipped with the tools and the psychology and, and how to get out of it and I just doubled down in those situations. A lot of people drink and you know, drink a lot of alcohol and eat crappy food. I just doubled down on myself. I exercise every day. I didn't have a drop of alcohol. I was eating clean. Uh, I was doing incantations, telling myself that I can do this. I can do this. I never made a bad. I never made a decision when I was in a poor state. So I'd get myself into a peak state by, you know, whether it be running around the block, chucking on some audio. So I'd be in a prime state. So when I made that decision, I knew it was the right decision because my thoughts and my mind were in, in, you know, just an optimum and just an optimum state and 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 flow. And I think that was a real key as well because. It's quite funny when you get into those situations just to see I think the real the true colors of a of a of a you know the true colors of a human kind of come out and I think for me as my true colors came out and I think it's what put me put me on path for what I'm kind of doing now and in that week you also went and talked to all your big suppliers yes and what did what did you tell them and now a couple of years on have you been able to stick to it there was one supplier where I did go to the debt collectors and that's because I basically, uh, I just didn't stay true to my, to, I, I almost just ignored it and, and put, it was more of a, more of putting it off because I had such a big list. I was trying to get through the list and I knew this was one of the big ones and I just put it off, but I'm still, I've nearly, nearly paid that debt. I just basically picked up the phone and went to visit everybody I could and I just told them the truth and I just said, hey, look, I can't pay you now, but 
I can hand on heart, I am going to pay you. You just need to be patient and you need to believe in me. And that's what I did. And I think a lot of people appreciated that because, as I said, a lot of people in that, in that position run for the hills. So people were like, okay, well, yeah, I'd rather get something than nothing. And this guy seems pretty authentic and I'm going to stick by him. And a lot of great, our great relationships have come from that, you know, that situation. And in that process, you lost uh, uh, business partners, people in yep. the business. You lost uh, your house, uh, yep. the car. Yep. Uh, you, you know, uh, like shut down like the flagships that like yep. a number of the flagships you loved. Like, yep. um, but then you, you know what, what, what's happened now after after two years <laughs> of that of that process. Yeah, you realize that what I realized is when all that happened, how much of my identity I had with the car and the house and this and the business. And I realized it's like, that's got to that's gotta change because it's inevitable when you're in business, you're going to get hit with hard times and you're going to have to make tough decisions, which outwardly are going to look like maybe you're not doing well. But I think most importantly, it's what you feel internally. And I just basically, I just did it because I had to do it in order to survive. And then I kind of figured out the other piece afterwards and it was actually quite a liberating process. I, you know, I was driving around as, you know, beautiful, fancy $40,000 car. It's not until I got, got rid of it till I realized the only person that actually cared about that car was me and how selfish and how stupid was that. And for a while I was, had, I was needing to drive a $1,500 car because I had to put every cent I had back into the business and buy out my business partner. And I had to put every cent, you know, back in there. And I was just driving around a $1,500 car of my sister-in-law's, which was the most... Yeah, you go from up here to, to, to the, and you realize it's like, fuck, no one actually cares anyway. And I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty interesting. Well, let's not, let's not do things that are fancy and look good. Let's actually do stuff that's super important and it's actually going to move us forward. And it wasn't, it wasn't until after I had those experiences that I could actually learn that lesson. And it was the best lesson I've ever learned. And as hard as it was, and, you know, there's many moments where I thought I was going to have a heart attack, literally thought I was having a heart attack, like, fuck, this is it. This is my life. This is my destiny. Just a piece of shit, wannabe businessman that couldn't make it work and, you know, did all, did all, did all, did all this stuff, but he couldn't amount to anything. Like, I thought it was it. But it wasn't until I kind of bounced back from those until I actually got a perspective on the bigger picture. It wasn't until I kind of could step out of that frame. And now you're telling that story as part of like the the rebuild of the company and rebuilding your trust with your with your fans and finding new fans and yep. new followers through it. Tell me about that decision to uh, to like give away your IP and like mm. drop all the secrets because so much of business is pretending you're successful so people will yep. believe it and buy it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the way I look at it, it's you can hold on to everything. But if by doing it, you're living in a scarcity, you're living in scarcity, scarcity mindset. If I give away everything, I'm living in an abundance mindset. And honestly, by giving away and helping people just makes me feel liberated. And I feel that there's plenty to go around for everybody. It just makes me live in abundance. And since I've been doing it, I'm just, the opportunities now are starting to open up. And at the same time, I get to crystallize my thoughts I get to, you know, sharpen about what sharpen what I'm doing and, and, and my plan a lot more, and get to help a lot of people to avoid the same making the same mistakes because of what I went through, it was hard. It was hard. Like it was, yeah, it was you know the toughest thing I've gone through. You know, I had to premature a daughter and this and that. That was hard. This was another level because there's so many more people involved, and my kids were involved. You know, 
my 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 wife and and my three kids you know we had to live in this beautiful million dollar house in titarangi that overlooked the ocean to a two-bedroom granny flat in swanson and which was so small my older two had to stay with my parents during the week because we couldn't fit everything you know that's that's humbling but at the same time you know i recovered and i just went back to basics and then now I'm a, I'm a different man and a better man because of it. And then you got it back up. And the first kind of things you do are send out, like, um, give out your IP and tell people how to make a million dollars from a fashion label, <laughs> which is a very unusual move for a fashion label to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the funny thing is, is for some reason, we've attracted a lot of startups, not only in fashion, but just in general. And I was like, okay, I can't, ha- I can't handle, I can't answer every single email and this and that. So I'm just going to give this away from free. Obviously, People are gravitating towards us for a reason. Let's just give these people some massive value. And the thing, as I said, by giving it away, I'm living in I'm living in an abundance. I I've got an abundance mindset. I know that I'm just going to be on to the next thing. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, more competition, the better. It's just going to make me step up my game. It's going to make me less complacent, and it's going to make other people a lot better. And I can already see a lot of brands and businesses that are already already applying it you know, the advice which we're giving. And it's just fantastic to see because then they'll do something a little bit different than what we'd do it. And it's going to force us to make, to, you know, to, to do things even a little bit more different and constantly innovate because it's all about, it's all about innovation as well. It's like not huge innovation, just small little innovative ideas and doing things a little bit differently than you did last time. And I think that what makes us be like that is by giving away what we know. Let's talk about that mindset in that um, I was listening to the story of I Love Ugly on your podcast the other day, and you mentioned how a friend of yours had seen that you were going through some hard times and brought you, and, and having to really kind of focus, and, and brought you a Tony Robbins audio tape, and yeah. your first reaction to it was, what's this? This is whack. <laughs> yeah. And, and t- but tell me about how, how, how Tony Robbins and that growth mindset, and, and, and that's ended up being a really important part of your growth. Such an important part. That was, you know, at that point, obviously very hard times. But then he said, I was, you know, once again, I was just judging him by what he looked like and the TV commercials and this and that. But his words and what he was saying was packing a punch and making an impact on me. And that basically led me to this, led me down this path of personal development and and discovery. And I've got this philosophy that you need to work harder on yourself than you do on your job or do you do on your business. And if you do that, your business or your job is going to grow as a result of that. So it's a little bit counterintuitive, but that's what I learned from Tony. And there was even that point in 2017 when you know the bank was trying to foreclose us, and I was I was like, okay, I you know skills wise and knowledge wise, I've it's got me this far, but I think this thing's beyond me what I can actually comprehend. And I had no money, so I went to Harmony, Harmony for small loans, and Ali and I were like, fuck it, let's just let's just get this loan. So we got a $20,000 loan and we went to Tony Robbins in Sydney and it was a five day course where we just immerse, you know, and that was honestly, I kid you not, the best investment I made. And, you know, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I did it and I paid that, you know, paid back that money at 14, 15% interest. I paid it back in six months. The business turned around, you know, we were profitable. The staff were happier. I knew I just had clarity again because when you go through a lot of shit, your confidence takes a huge hit and there's about 18 months where my confidence was just it was 
you know, it was shot and I was too scared to take any form of risk. I was too scared to make any decision. I was just, I was just coasting. I was surviving. But the, the thing is, if you're surviving, you're actually going backwards. And it wasn't until I, you know, took that leap into that personal development and just really dug deep and sorted out my issues because I know that the business is a direct result of how good I am and how good my skills and my mindset is. And um, yeah, I just really invested into that. And is that also a difficult ego thing? Like when you're in a thing like fashion and streetwear, which is like, um, you know, so judged on image mm. to go like, oh, this guy who, like you say, like, you know, this looks whack on the commercials yeah. or whatever. And to go, no, nah, no, nah, like, don't, don't, don't be too cynical and too cool mm. to actually go, no, you should try harder. You should yeah. be better and actually be kind of like that level of like earnestness, I guess. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, net, honestly, the old saying, never judge a book by its covers, is so true. And now I just, I actually don't care mm. about what people think or I'm just, I just want to be me. I want to be the best version of myself. There's, a, there's that old saying, quiet, you know, men lead quiet lives of desperation. And what it means by that is everybody's actually desperate to do it. A lot of people don't do it because they're afraid of judgment from others. And after going through my experience, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I, I don't care. I'm just going to be the best version of myself. And if it means being cheesy or, or cringe or this cool guy over here in Ponsonby that used to like the brand, but now, you know, V's doing this kind of weird, like, you know, transparency type thing. I don't like him anymore. I actually, I actually don't care. I, I think so long as the people that it, it is resonating with is impacting them in a positive way, then I'm, I'll be a happy man. And what kind of things do you do in your day-to-day to to keep yourself in in top shape um so i start every morning by what i like to call priming myself and i get up around six o'clock before the kids are awake and the wife is awake and i just do you know deep deep breathing exercise which i learned from this dutch guy called wim hof and it oxygenates my my blood just releases a whole bunch of dopamine and all sorts of you know pretty impactful emotions into me and then um and then i just I, i just meditate on my goals and I go through kind of gratitude, what I'm thankful for, real basic stuff. Like I'm thankful that I can walk and I've got health. Um, I'm thankful that, you know, I got married and three beautiful, healthy children and got parents and friends. And I'm thankful for my customers and my business. And that just gets me in an absolute, you know, just a peak prime state. And it's almost like nothing can disrupt me at that point. My mind's quiet and I'm owning the day. I'm not letting the day own me. And then I have a cold shower and then I'm ready to go. I have, you know, my wife and I, we drink this thing called Bulletproof Coffee. It's just black black coffee with butter and coconut oil. Have that. That keeps me going to 1 o'clock and I'm just happy. Just a happy man. But, you know, don't get me wrong. I have times where I'm battling, battling with uh, the mind and the emotions and the thoughts. But I'm not letting those, those negative thoughts conquer me anymore. I'm just, yeah, I'm conquering them. So that's kind of like how I think now, because my workload has increased tenfold, um, especially now since I'm you know doing a lot of this type of stuff, but I feel at peace and I feel grounded and I feel I'm you know only tapping into five percent of myself. So I'm excited to where things can go, and I'm I'm trying to teach this as well. Even even my staff, it's it's just amazing seeing the staff that have come and joined I Love Ugly from where they were a year ago to where they are now. Personally, is phenomenal. You know, a lot of them are like going to the gym every day and losing weight and all of a sudden just, you know, starting to understand how the mind works and understanding, you know, I'm 100% transparent with them about business and what I'm going through and I'm getting leaning on them for advice and it's just a, yeah, it's just an awesome environment to be in. 
and having had some pretty amazing outward signals of success and then been through a pretty pretty deep valley how do you define success now like what's your what's your version mm, good question uh i think my definition of success is to do exactly what you want to be doing so if you want to be the best mother and you're being the best mother every day you're successful if you want to be a house painter and it's exactly what you want to do and you're painting houses every day and you're happy that's successful so long as you're doing if you want to you know make 10 million dollars and you make 10 million dollars and that's important to you you're successful so it's to my definition is basically living life on your terms and doing exactly what you want to do and being happy as a result of it that to me is successful i think the most unsuccessful thing is you know how often do we see billionaires that are miserable because they're unfulfilled because they're basically just doing stuff for the wrong reasons you know they, they think that money is actually going to make them successful it's actually not i think it's actually you know living life on your terms making the decisions you want to make being with the people you want to be with and you know just just living living and living life yeah oh, that's so awesome well to find out more about the story and as much advice as you could hope for 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 entrepreneurs make sure you check out the i love ugly audio show which uh is the podcast series which is uh sharing a lot of this and follow the social media and thank you so much Valentine it. Osich, nah, for, thank you uh, thank you so much yeah. valentine Osich, for joining us today <laughs> yeah. it's been a real pleasure absolutely thanks a lot simon appreciate Cheers. it Cheers, mate. Awesome. thank you very much to tina tiller for producing and thank you very much uh for listening and if you have enjoyed the podcast jump on and give us a like and subscribe <laughs> drop us uh, a a review and uh tell a friend cheers if you are a fan and follower of the spin-off make sure you check out the spin-off members uh, a program where you're able to get behind and support and choose and shape the investigative journalism that the spin-off provides you've been listening to business is boring presented by simon pound and brought to you by the spin-off and callahan innovation From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.